Thank you, Patrick. All right, I need all of you to take out your Bibles, please, and open to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. This morning we're continuing our new message series called You Asked For It, and we're going to tackle the question that came in first place in last week's voting, the top question in the survey. But before we dive into that, I need to know what you'd like me to answer next Sunday. So here are three great questions for you to choose from. You get to vote for your favorite, number one, two, or three. Question number one, what are heaven and hell really like? That question came in second place in last week's voting, so we'll put it back in the mix this week. What are heaven and hell really like? Question number two, is America a Christian nation? Another good question. Question number three, I'm a Christian, but do I have to go to church? So those are your options, questions one, two, or three. If you're watching on live.greaterimpact.cc or on Facebook, just message us, number one, two, or three. If you're watching on YouTube, just text one, two, or three to one of our prayer counselors. You have 30 seconds to vote. Ready, set, go. Okay, thanks all of you who voted. I look forward to seeing the results and tackling that question next week. Today we're going to dive into the number one question from last week's survey, and that question is, can I lose my salvation? Can I lose my salvation? This is actually one of the most common questions that Christians have asked in recent years, not just in our church, but really in churches across the nation. Can I lose my salvation? Last month, I had the privilege of being at the bedside of a friend of mine. Many of you knew Cal from our church. He was a deacon at our church up until a year ago, a wonderful man of God. And last month, uh, he went to be with the Lord. And I had the privilege of being there at his hospital bed with his wife as Cal breathed his last and entered eternity. And those of you who knew Cal would agree with me that Cal had a heart of gold. He was without a doubt a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, and he served him faithfully for so many years. But I want to let you in on a little secret. It was just a few years ago that Cal approached me after a prayer meeting that we had at the church, and he had told me ahead of time that he wanted to talk with me, so we sat down together in the front row, and Cal began to share with me some details of how he was guilty for what he had done as a young man. As a young man, he had been in the Navy for 20 years. He was sowing his wild oats, and he was doing some things that he really deeply regretted later in life. And Cal wanted to know if he was really saved. And along with that, Cal wanted to know if he had been saved at one point, could God have possibly taken his salvation away because of what he had done? Cal wanted to know if he could lose his salvation. Now, many of you who know Cal would say, if someone like Cal has that question, then I shouldn't be surprised if I and other Christians I know might have that exact same question. You might be surprised how many of those who are in the church serving the Lord faithfully, loving and caring for him, demonstrating many signs that they follow the Lord with all their hearts, how many of those individuals at one time or another wrestle with this question? Can I lose my salvation? A few minutes ago, I asked you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to share with you uh, this passage, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. I want you to follow along in your Bibles. And this passage, I want to let you know from the get-go, is one of the most difficult passages in the entire Bible to interpret. Uh, This is a very challenging passage. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6, these three verses are one of the reasons why Cal and many other Christians ask this question, can I lose my salvation? Here's what it says. Please follow along. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, 
who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, these verses seem to be saying that someone can accept Christ, someone can be given the Holy Spirit, and then fall away from the Christian faith. Uh, They're separated from Christ for good once they fall away, is what these verses seem to say. In other words, these verses seem to indicate if you have been saved and then you lose your salvation, then there is no hope for you. You will be going to hell. And so these verses are very difficult. There are a number of different interpretations that Christians have of these verses. But at first reading, it certainly seems to indicate that someone can lose their salvation. And so when you come across a passage like this in Scripture, remember as a church, we encourage you to study God's word on your own. As a pastor, I encourage you to read God's word on your own. But there are going to be times when you come across verses or passages that are really hard to wrap your mind around. Uh, verses that are really hard to understand. And so whenever you come across those verses that are difficult, I encourage you to always do three things. Number one, pray. Pray that God would give you wisdom to understand those verses. Number two, I encourage you to look at these verses in some other English translations because sometimes when you look at it in slightly different wording, it helps to bring light to what that passage is saying. And then the third thing is to look at other verses outside of that passage that help explain the meaning of that passage. You see, the best interpreter of God's word is always God's word. And so we're going to do all three of these together with this difficult passage here. Number one, let's pray for God's wisdom. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we've been asked a a difficult question today. Can I lose my salvation? And we look at these three verses in Hebrews, and at first glance it seems like the answer is yes, we can. But Lord, we want to rightly understand your word. And we can't do that without you. So, Lord, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us guidance as we search the scriptures to learn the meaning of this passage and learn your answer to this important question? God, give us your wisdom. Give us your guidance. I pray that my words would not get in the way of your words. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So let's do those three together. Number one, we just did. We prayed for God's wisdom. Number two, let's look at these three verses in a few other English translations. A lot of you like the English Standard Version, the ESV. And so this is how these verses read in the ESV. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him or holding him up to contempt. Well, we look at those verses in the ESV. I know about you, but that translation doesn't help me any more than the NIV did that I read a few minutes ago. And so, okay, well, that didn't really clarify it for us. So how about if we go to an easier uh, to understand translation? Uh, An easy to understand translation that I'd recommend is the New Living Translation. Uh, It's written more like at a 7th or 8th grade level as opposed to the ESV or NIV, more like a ninth, 10th grade level. And so the New Living Translation says it this way, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. We have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. Okay, so that's one of the easiest translations to understand. And once again, that doesn't help me out yet. I don't know about you, but step two, in this particular case, I don't think works as well. 
those other English translations don't really shed a lot of light on what those three verses are saying. So we're going to go to step three. Step three, remember, is to look at other verses in Scripture, other passages that deal with the same subject to help explain what God means here. So let's do that. Let's uh, look at some other passages. But before we do that, I want you to understand that when you come to salvation in Jesus Christ, there are two parties involved. When a person gets saved... Let's say, make it a little more personal. When you get saved, there are two people involved in that. You and God, right? You and God. Those are the the two parties involved in a salvation. You and God. And so it stands to reason that if you could lose your salvation, it's either because, number one, God took it away, or number two, you chose to give it away. So those are your only two options. If you could lose your salvation, either God takes it away or you choose to walk away. So let's look at other verses in the pages of Scripture that address whether or not God takes away someone's salvation and whether or not you and I can walk away from our salvation. So let's start with the first of those. Could God take away my salvation? And I think these verses are going to be pretty encouraging to many of you. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. There's a reason on the screen we underline those words, I will never drive away. It's a promise from Jesus Christ. How about what Jesus says in John 10, verses 27 through 29? He says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Notice how we underline those words. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. How about Philippians 1 verse 6? He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So taken together, these three passages uh, clearly teach us that God never drives someone away who is saved. It's good news, isn't it? And God never causes someone to perish who is saved. And God never causes someone uh, to uh, be snatched away by Satan who is saved. No one can snatch one of God's children out of his hand. It can't happen. And once God begins a good work in someone who is saved, God promises that he will finish that work. Isn't that good news? He'll finish that work. Unlike many of us, God doesn't stop a project when it's only halfway through. God finishes what he has started. God finishes what he has started. Say that with me. God finishes what he started. Say that to someone sitting next to you. God finishes what he started. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that is to understand from God's word. So with these biblical insights in mind, we can say with certainty that what Hebrews 6 verses 4 through 6 is not saying is that sometimes God saves someone and then down the road he takes away their salvation. We can know for sure, based on these other scriptures, that Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 is definitely not saying that. God's word guarantees it. He will never take away someone's salvation. Amen? Amen. This should bring a a relief and and, uh, take a burden off of many of you. You see, when believers in Jesus Christ ask that question that we're tackling this morning, can I lose my salvation? Many times their real question is this. Have I screwed up so badly as a Christian that God has turned his back on me and chosen to send me to hell? That's the real question in many Christians' heart of hearts when they ask that question, can I lose my salvation? They really want to know, have I screwed up so bad that God has chosen forget you, I'm going to send you to hell. You know, you spat in my face too many times, I'm through with you. That's really what many Christians want to know. And so the biblical answer to that question is an emphatic no. Jesus says in his word on several occasions, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
God will never strip you of your salvation. His grace is greater than your disgrace. Many of you have heard me say that in the past more than once. But this is something you probably haven't heard me say. God's grace is greater than your disgrace. But God's grace is even greater than the disgrace that you've allowed in your life after you became a Christian. Isn't that a relief? Even the disgrace you've allowed in your life after you got saved, God's grace is greater even than that. Praise God. Praise God. That's good news. Your screw-ups and my screw-ups will never cause us to lose our salvation. Like the prodigal son's father, God will never give up on one of his children. So that's the first kind of sub-question under this question of, can I lose my salvation? It's important to know that God will never snatch away your salvation. He'll never take it away from you if you truly are saved. So let's tackle the second part, the second kind of sub-question. You want to know, could I be saved and then choose to walk away from my salvation? Could I choose to turn my back on God and, and walk away once I'm already saved? That question, frankly, is a lot tougher to answer. Here are a few verses that I think might help us answer that question. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. It says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the truth and the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. As Paul speaks here of of receiving the gospel and and taking our stand on the gospel, he's clearly talking about the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ. But then he inserts that that really important two-letter word, that word, if. That word, if. The gospel ultimately will save us in eternity if we hold firmly to God's word. If we don't. Our belief in Christ won't save us, Paul says. These words could be interpreted to mean that you could take hold of that salvation that Jesus Christ offers you and then down the road choose to let it go. How about Hebrews 3, 6? It says, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house and we are his house if we hold on to our courage in the hope of which we boast. Notice that important word if is in that verse. How about Hebrews three twelve through 14? The writer of Hebrews says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. I want you to notice he calls them brothers. And so he's clearly speaking to Christians here. Make sure that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if... We hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Did you notice in each of these verses that I just shared with you, did you you notice that once we are saved, the emphasis is on living out that salvation, of carrying out certain responsibilities once we are saved. Salvation has never been a matter of simply saying a sinner's prayer. Salvation has never been a matter of simply filling out a decision card. Salvation has never been a matter of simply raising your hand or walking down an aisle at an invitation time. Salvation has never even been about just being baptized. It's never been about those token acts at some point in the past. In the Bible, salvation is past, present, and future. And so that's important to understand when you come across that word save or salvation in the New Testament. Remember that salvation from a New Testament perspective is past, present and future. And so there has been for most of you listening, probably a point in your time, a point in your life when you made that initial decision to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, to turn from your sins and get baptized. Uh, You could say that you were saved. That was a past act. But then don't forget that today in this very moment, you are in the process of being saved. As you are living out your faith today, is it not true that Jesus Christ is continuing to save you even right now in this moment? 
And it's also true, won't you uh, agree from Scripture, that one day we will experience our ultimate salvation. When Jesus Christ comes back to take us home to heaven, we'll be set free from sin and set free from death and set free from disease and pain and agony and pandemics and all of this crud in this life. We'll be set free once and for all. We will for once and for all be saved eternally. And so past, uh, so salvation is past, uh, present, and future. It's important to keep in mind. And so can I lose my salvation? The quick answer to that question is no. You can't lose it in the sense of, oops, where'd it go? I, I know I was saved at one point, but where did it go? Uh, you certainly can't lose it in that sense. And you certainly can't lose your salvation in the sense of God snatching it away from you because you've gotten on his nerves one too many times or disobeyed one too many commands once you were saved. But these verses and others in Scripture do seem to indicate that you can choose to turn your back on God and choose to walk away from the faith. Theoretically, you might say hypothetically, someone can walk away from the faith as best as I understand these verses of Scripture. So can I lose my salvation? No. Can you choose to walk away from it? Possibly. But if that happens, if that happens, it's very, very rare. What is much more common is when people choose to walk away from God when they weren't really saved in the first place. Did you catch that? More often than not, the vast majority of time when we look at someone and ask, wow, did they walk away from the faith? The vast majority of the time, those individuals were never really saved in the first place. And so if you are asking that question today, can I lose my salvation? Have I lost my salvation? Let me encourage you to ask and answer a much more important question, a much more relevant question for you. Was I ever saved in the first place? Was I ever saved in the first place? Am I truly a born-again Christian, a born-again believer and follower of Jesus Christ? You might respond, I think so. I, I, I think I'm a Christian. I, I think I'm saved. Well, I don't want you to just think so. I want you to be absolutely sure because the Bible says there is a way to be sure that you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, a way to be sure that you are saved. I want to share with you 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It's such an important verse at the end of Paul's writing of this second letter of Corinthians. He writes in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course... You fail the test. So God's word tells us to examine ourselves. God's word tells us to test ourselves, to see if we are truly saved, whether or not we are truly born-again Christians. So you might say, well, that's great, Dane. What's the test? How do I test myself? I need to know what the test is. Well, I'm so glad that you asked what the test is. The Bible answers that question of what the test is. In fact, if you look in the pages of the New Testament, you can find at least six tests to see whether or not you are truly in the faith, whether or not you are truly saved. And so I want to walk through these very quickly with you and, and back each of these tests up with scriptures. And if you have a pen and paper handy, I encourage you to jot these down because I will be going through them rather quickly. But I encourage you, everyone watching this right now, to do a little self-test, a little self-examination. This is a spiritual test, a spiritual examination. Be honest with yourself. Be humble and honest. Answer these questions as they're given to you, these six tests to see if you truly are saved. Number one is the belief test. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is is the Son of God. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 21 and 23, uh, John writes, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. 
Catch this. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father. That's the belief test. Ask yourself, do I truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the promised Messiah, and do I believe that he is the Son of God? That's the belief test. Number two is the repentance test. And that goes like this, the question that accompanies the repentance test. Was there a definite point in your life when you turned from your sins, you got baptized, and you put Jesus Christ in charge of your life? Was there a definite point in time when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you turned from your sin, that's what repentance means. Remember, repentance is a spiritual U-turn. You turn from your sin and put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of your life. Remember, he doesn't want to ride shotgun with you still driving your life. He wants to be behind the wheel. He wants to be in the driver's seat. Was there a point in time when you put him in charge of your life? Acts 2, 38 and 39 says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Was there a definite point in time when you turned from your sin, put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of your life, and made it clear that you were serious about that decision by getting baptized? Number three, the third test is the obedience test. This one's so important. The question that goes with the obedience test is this. Do you obey God's commands on a daily basis? Do you obey God's commands on a daily basis? 1 John 2 verses 3 through 6 say, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys the word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Remember what Jesus said during his ministry years? He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? And he goes on to say, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. That's why we talk a lot about Jesus not simply being our Savior, who saves us from our sins, but Jesus being our Lord. Remember that word Lord means master. It means boss. It means leader. It means hefe. And so Jesus Christ must not just be your Savior, but he must be your Lord. And if he is your Lord, then you will obey his commands. That is the third test to see if you're truly in the faith. Test number four is the love test. Uh, we find this in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, and also in 1 John 4, verses 11 and 12. The question with the love test is this. Do you love God and people? It's a simple question. Do you love God and people? In 1 John, John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Amen? That's the love test. You love God and people. Number five, the fifth test is the hunger test. Do you hunger for God and the things of God? Such as reading his word and, and prayer and worship and fellowship with other believers, holiness, serving God and, and others. These are things that we should be a bit hungry for. If you're finding yourself during this stay-at-home order a hungry for Christian fellowship and you miss meeting together with other Christians and worshiping him under the same roof together, uh, that's a sign that you're in the faith. Because we should have a hunger for fellowship. We should have a longing to be with other Christians, to love other Christians, to serve other Christians, and work together with them to serve those outside the church with other Christians. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2, and also in verse 10, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. There was a man who had a heart 
for God and the things of God. He had a hunger to be in worship. He had a hunger to be able to offer sacrifices to the Lord. He had a hunger to meet together with the saints to do these things together. And then test number six is the Holy Spirit test. We're going to spend a little bit more time on this one. Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Let me ask you a few uh, questions underneath this question of is there evidence of the Holy Spirit? Uh, Let me ask you, first of all, do you understand basic Bible teaching? The reason I ask that is because of what Jesus says in John 14, verse 26. Jesus said, uh, close to the time that he went to the cross, he said, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus, before he was arrested and led to the cross and eventually died and rose again, before that he told his followers that after he goes back to heaven, he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will teach them all things. The Bible promises that if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, God has placed his Holy Spirit inside of you. And one of the things the Holy Spirit is inside of you to do is to help you understand God's word. And so I ask you, do you have a basic understanding of the basic truths of God's word? Do you have a basic understanding of salvation? You have a basic understanding of why it's important to be baptized and a basic understanding of why you need to be reading his word every day, why you need to be in prayer, why you need to be in church, uh, what communion is about. Do you have a basic understanding of these key teachings in God's word? If so, that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. If all of this is just over your head and you don't understand any of it, that's probably an indication that you have not yet had the Holy Spirit come into your life, which means you have not yet made that clear decision to follow Christ and to invite him into your life to save you from your sins and to uh, lead you in a new life with him. Uh, The second question under this Holy Spirit test, do you feel convicted and unhappy when you sin? This is so important. Do you feel convicted and unhappy when you sin? Uh, John 16, verses 7 through 11, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. This work of the Holy Spirit is so, so important. If you are worried about losing your salvation, I have some very good news for you. If you are concerned about losing your salvation, if you are worried about losing your salvation, then you haven't lost it. Isn't that good news? Because if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of the sin in your life and you feel bad about that sin and you feel convicted over that sin and maybe you're tossing and turning at night a little bit because it grieves you what you've said and done, if there are these signs of unhappiness and grief related to your own sin, that is a clear indication that you are saved, that you are secure in Christ. Because if you weren't secure in Christ, if you weren't saved, if you didn't have the Holy Spirit in you, when you sinned, it would be like, who cares? No big deal. You probably wouldn't think anything of it. You just go about living your own life and sinning whenever you want to sin, and there's not that conviction. That very conviction is a sign that you are in the faith. That's very good news for us. How about the third question under the Holy Spirit? Do you have and use at least one spiritual gift? So important what we did this last week, offering those spiritual gift inventories to you. I want everyone who's listening to this message to know what their spiritual gift is. If you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, I guarantee you he's given you at least one. And this simple little test that we've come up with in recent years as a church will help you determine what your one, two, or three gifts are that God has given to you so you can serve with effectiveness and enjoyment in the body of Christ. If you have a spiritual gift and you are using that spiritual gift, that there is an indication that Jesus Christ has come into your life. 
It says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Finally, the fourth question under the Holy Spirit test, is the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? Many of you are familiar with that passage in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are nine fruit of the Spirit. Are they growing in your life? Do you see love growing and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control? Are they growing in your life to some extent? Some of these, I look at the first one there, love. Yeah, that's growing in my life. Probably more than the fourth one, patience is. I've got a lot of room for growth in this area of patience. This final one, number nine, self-control. I, I need to exercise more self-control. I need more growth in that area. But I can look at my life and see that there is some growth as the weeks and months go by in these fruit of the Spirit. And so ask that question, is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life? So these are those six tests, once again, uh, so that uh, you can jot them down if you missed one. The belief test, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God? Number two, the repentance test, was there a definite point in your life when you turned from your sin and you got baptized and Jesus Christ uh, took charge of your life? Number three, the obedience test, do you obey God's commands on a daily basis? Number four, the love test, do you truly love God and people? Number five, the hunger test, you hunger for God and the things of God. And number six, the Holy Spirit test, is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you have a basic understanding of the teachings of the Bible? Do you feel convicted and unhappy when you sin? Do you, do you have and at least use one spiritual gift and is the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? Well, friends, we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine and test ourselves to see if we are really in the faith. If you failed in, in any one of these six tests, then there is a strong scriptural evidence that you may not be in the faith. If you failed in one of these six areas, if there's not at least some growth that you're seeing and some conviction in these areas, then chances are, uh, that you have not made that definite decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to invite him into your life. If this is true of you, you need to make a decision today. Uh, many of you are looking at these and say, well, I, I know I'm saved. There's, there's evidence from these six tests that I'm, I'm clearly saved. But man, I'm struggling in, in one or two of these areas. Well, I encourage you to pray about that. Pray about that and ask God to, to help you work through that challenge that you're having. Maybe it's with that love test. God, I feel a little distant from you. My, I'm not growing in my love for you. Uh, God, I'm feeling like people are annoying me more than they used to. God, I need to grow in my love for people. Uh, go to your Savior. Spend time in his word. Continue to soak in the word of God that's being taught to you through these messages each week. Uh, make sure that you're doing your due diligence to work out your faith with fear and trembling, that you're persevering in your faith, that you're doing your part to grow in your faith. Once you are saved, God will never take your salvation away. God will never strip you of your salvation. But you and I do have a responsibility to take our faith seriously and live it out every day of our lives. And if we're not doing that, then that's a red flag that our relationship with God isn't where it needs to be. Maybe I'm not saved in the first place. Jesus' salvation is transformational. It really does boil down to this. Jesus' salvation is transformational. Because I am saved, I will never be the same again. And the same is true for you. If you are truly saved, there will be transformation in your life. There will be change in your life. There will be growth in your life. You will never be the same again. I encourage you to ask yourself these key questions. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And if you are, but you see some of those shortcomings, then you go to your Lord and Savior and ask Him to help you work through those. You can reach out to me or any of our staff or leaders at the church, and we would love to pray with you or help you if we can help you in your growth to shore up some of these areas where you see that you're falling short. 
We want your Christian faith not to just be at a, a bare minimum level. We want your Christian faith to be vibrant. We want you to be hungry for God. We want you to be hungry for his word. We want you to be growing in your love for him and growing in your love for others. We want you identifying and carrying out those spiritual gifts that God has given you to creatively serve him in a powerful way. Uh, we want you to see that evidence of the fruit of the Spirit working in your life, the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We are in this together. So let me know. Let us know how we can help you grow in these areas. But I do have some great news for you today. If you see that God is moving in your lives and, and your basic answer to these questions is, yes, there is evidence uh, that I am in the faith Congratulations. If you were in God's hand, Satan, no one else on this planet, not a single person can snatch you out of God's hand. He promises he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So any area that needs to be shored up, he will help you shore that area up if you'll just lean and trust in him. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I thank you so much for everyone who has paid attention to this message today. And listened intently for the answer to that question, can I lose my salvation? Lord, I thank you for your guarantee from Scripture that if I am saved, you will never snatch it away. Lord, I thank you for that promise from Scripture that if I'm, in, that if I'm saved, uh, neither Satan nor anyone else can snatch it away. Thank you, Lord, that no one can take us out of your hand. And Father, we may not be completely settled in our mind as to whether or not we can walk away from the faith once we're truly saved. Lord, that's still a little fuzzy from what we read in Scripture. But we thank you, Lord, for the promise that you will never leave us and never forsake us. And if we are in the faith, O oh God, you will do everything within your power to help us live out that faith in a powerful and life-changing way. Lord, I pray for anyone right now who's struggling uh, Lord, in their walk with you, I pray, O oh God, that you would touch them right now at their point of need. Encourage them if they need encouragement. Strengthen them if they need strengthening. Help them, Lord, if they're becoming lazy in their uh, scripture reading habits, Lord. I pray that they would dive into your word each day and have a hunger to do that. I pray that they would be in prayer with you each day. And if, Lord, they don't know how to pray, that they would reach out to one of us. And we'd love to share with them a few tips on how they can pray with a greater ease and effectiveness. Lord, I pray for any that uh, might, Lord, be finding that they're reading your word, but they're not able to understand the truth. I pray that your Holy Spirit would unlock the truths of Scripture so they can better understand your word and get to know you better and better every day. Father, I pray for those that are, are hurting, Lord. They're craving Christian fellowship and they're missing uh, being together under the same roof, O oh God. We pray that this COVID-19 uh, pandemic, Lord, would end soon. We pray, O oh God, that we would be able to be back together in church uh, soon, uh, that we would be able, Lord, uh, to be able to uh, embrace each other, Lord, and see each other and worship together and, and uh, minister to each other again soon, Lord. I just pray that uh, you would work a miracle and be with each person, each Christian, Lord, who's struggling right now. And finally, I pray for those who do not yet know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, if they've looked at these six tests and realized that they have failed, Oh God, they might believe in you, but they never really put their trust in you. They may have made a decision years ago to say a sinner's prayer or, or fill out a card or walk down an aisle or get baptized. But Lord, you have not been in the driver's seat of their life. Lord, I pray that right now uh, they would commit their lives to you for good. Lord, for real. That they would say to you right now, Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. Lord, I believe that Jesus, you are the Christ and the Son of the living God. And I believe you're my only chance to make it to heaven. Lord, I pray that each of these individuals would say, Lord, I uh, choose today to follow you with my life, to obey your commands, to follow the leading of your Holy Spirit, and to carry out the purpose and plans you have for me. Lord Jesus, I pray that in this moment, individuals are giving their hearts to you. And knowing for certain that they are saved because, Lord, they have committed their hearts to you and they're living it out. Not just making a one-time decision and moving on to life as usual, but realizing, Lord, that salvation is past and present and future. May all of us, Lord, live out our salvation 
and work out that salvation you've blessed us with, with fear and trembling. Lord, help us to follow you faithfully until we meet again in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Here at the end of the service, I wanted to give you an update on COVID-19 and the stay-at-home order and how our church is going to be responding to that in the days to come. Uh, I've really been toiling over this in recent weeks, and I know many of you have as well. I need to be honest with you. There are a number of people in our church who are really, really struggling. People who are struggling with discouragement, people struggling even with depression, really hungering for that Christian fellowship, really missing that Christian fellowship that we can't have in an online service. Uh, I heard a pastor say this last week, uh, watching a worship service online is kind of like watching a campfire online. It might be pretty, you might learn some things, but it's just not the same. It's just not the same. And so what we are experiencing in our church with Christians in the fellowship really wrestling with this isolation, Christians and churches around the nation are experiencing the exact same thing. We're not alone. And so many churches have begun to ask the question, will we get back together and meet together in person, regardless of whether or not our political leaders say it's okay? And so over the last several weeks, uh, different churches in America, and particularly in California, have drafted a resolution. It's called the Declaration of Essentiality that will be sent to Governor Newsom in the days to come. I need to be honest with you. Governor Newsom, from all we can tell, is not a man of God. From all we can tell, he's not a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And so when he says that the church in California is not essential, uh, that should not surprise us. But we believe differently, don't we? We believe that the church of Jesus Christ is absolutely essential. In fact, it's even more essential than Costco, than Walmart, than Target, than any grocery store that's been allowed to be open during this entire pandemic so far. We, we as a church have done what we believed to be in the best interest of our community over the last two months choosing not to have services together in person, doing only online services to keep that social distancing, to keep that safe distance by doing these services online. But we know that's coming at a cost. It's coming at a cost to many who desperately need to get together with other Christians. And if this is allowed to continue much longer, I'm very concerned that we will be aborting this mission that Jesus Christ has given us to fellowship together, to love each other, to serve each other, to make a greater impact in this community. So right now, somewhere around a 1,000 pastors have signed this declaration of essentiality that will be sent to Governor Newsom in the days to come. And that declaration makes it clear that the churches who have signed on to that declaration are planning on relaunching live worship services before or on May 31st. That's just two weeks away. At least a thousand churches, it looks like, will be relaunching live services in just two weeks. So as a church staff, as a leadership, we've been praying about this. We've been discussing this over the past week. And we've come to the conclusion that we're not quite ready to do this on May 31st. So we have not signed off on that declaration. But we completely agree that we serve a higher power and a higher authority than Governor Newsom. If Governor Newsom says that the church cannot reopen until October or November or December, in our view, that is unacceptable. And so our hope and our prayer is that he reads this declaration of essentiality and has a change of heart and gives his blessing for churches to relaunch in the weeks to come. But these churches that have signed on to this declaration have made it clear, regardless of whether or not Governor Newsom signs on, they will restart live services anyway. They'll do this by following CDC guidelines, making sure that face masks and uh, uh, social distancing is practiced. Uh, churches are being very, very careful to make sure that they do everything within their power to make their facilities safe and approachable for anyone who chooses to come. 
And so we are praying about this. In fact, I'm going to ask that tomorrow on Monday, you join me in praying and fasting that God would give us his clear guidance and direction as to what we should do as a church. This last week, I reached out to the assistant mayor of Victorville and probed her a little bit about what her thoughts are about the church relaunching. We've discussed the possibility, since we won't be allowed to go into the school uh, auditorium for several months, we've discussed the possibility of doing an outdoor live service. And so we're looking into some different options with that. And so we're looking at ways that we can relaunch our service in the weeks to come, but we would love to be able to do that with the governor's blessing. But regardless, we must do what God calls us to do, regardless of whether or not he is supportive of that. So ultimately, we have to count the cost. And we have to make sure that whatever we are doing, it is what the Lord Jesus Christ has led us to do. So in order to make sure that we're following his will, we need you to pray. We need to pray together that God would guide this decision so we can do what's best for our church, so that we can carry out our mission for the glory of God as he's called us to do. And rest assured that we will continue these high-quality online services Whenever we get back together in person, that will be just added to what we're currently doing. So if you need to stay at home, you'll continue to be able to enjoy a wonderful 10 o'clock service each and every Sunday uh, where we bless you with these online services. Also, I want to let you know that beginning tomorrow, we're going to reestablish our normal office hours at George Boulevard. We'll have at least one of our staff members at the office Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. If you need to call us, we'll be there. If you need to stop by, we'll be there. And if you need me to come over to your home to pray with you, to anoint you with oil, to minister to you in whatever way you need, please just call. I want to be available to help And serve you however I can. And I know our staff members and elders and deacons would say the same. Let us know if we can be a blessing to you. And whatever your guidelines are in your home, I'll wear a mask, I'll wear gloves, I'll wear a smock, whatever you need me to do. I just want to help in whatever way that I can. Uh, Please just reach out to us if we can help. We'll keep you posted uh, in the weeks to come as to what God is leading us to do. And I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. And remember kids... In just a few minutes, we're going to launch our Impact Kids online Sunday school. And so after this amen, at the end of this prayer, we'll have a two-minute countdown. And then Miss Christie will be with us to launch that Impact Kids service. Would you pray with me? Lord, we need your guidance. We need your wisdom. I pray for churches, O God, that are wrestling with this decision of how and when to restart uh, and relaunch live services. Lord, I pray that you'd be with every church that bears your name in America. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom. And each church leadership team and congregation needs unity in the decision that they make. Lord, the decision we make uh, may not be the exact same decision another congregation makes. But Lord, would you lead each congregation? Would you lead us, O God? We want to do your will. We want to please you. And Father, I pray that you would change the heart of our governor, that he would see the church as essential in this state, and that he would give his blessing uh, for churches to get back together, being safe, practicing, Lord, those guidelines to uh, ensure the safety of others as we do meet, but Lord, recognizing that the church needs to get back to the work of the church. Lord, change his heart, do a work in him, we pray, and give us clear guidance in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next time.